Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Jason Troyer. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So could you start off by telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I am uh, kind of a reformed academic. <laughs> I was a, uh, I have my master's degree in counseling and a PhD in counseling psych, and I was a college professor for about 14 years at a small college. Um, I was tenured, I was an assistant dean for a while, and I decided Jeez. to give all of that up. Um, to uh, My research area has always been grief and loss, and so I started some side hustles out of, honestly, a necessity uh, to make some more income. And uh, those side hustles uh, grew into full-time hustles. And with uh, my wife and I have three, three young children, and I really couldn't have two full-time gigs going, so I had to <laughs> choose one or the other. And the the side hustles uh, were a lot more interesting and and um, were just an opportunity to uh, increase income and a few things like that. Very interesting. I love it when a side hustle grows into a, a center hustle or a main hustle. Yeah. So maybe take us back a little bit um, on the timeline. What, how long ago are we talking? So like when did you start the side hustle? How long did you do it until you had to make that decision between you know, the academic path or the self-employment? Sure. It's probably been about eight years ago now. Um, I, through happenstance, uh, met a, a funeral director here in the town where I live, a funeral home owner. And, um, you know, a, a lot of my story is kind of, you know, kind of the unprogramming of the academic world, quite honestly. Um, not to go into it in too much depth, but in the academic world, it is, so often a, you know, you're just kind of constantly hammered down. Uh, and um, it, the questions of who are you to say this? Who are you to propose such a thing? What do you know? Is just such a, just such a large part of the academic world and, you know, kind of fighting against that to kind of make a name for yourself and say something original and do original research and things like that. And so it was a difficult to kind of reprogram myself out of that, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, because, so I met this local funeral home owner and he said, you know, we really do want to provide some grief resources for our families. I'm not quite sure they're up to date. Would you just read them over and make, you know, give me some feedback on them? And I'm like, oh, sure, I can do that. And looked at what he was using and it was woefully out of date. And um, I told him so. And he just said, you know, if, if, you know, if you could write something better, I would kind of short pamphlets and booklets is what we're talking about here. Right. He's like, if you could create something better, I'd buy it from you. And I thought, well, I'm not the big names in grief and loss, the people that I'm citing in my research and things like that, but I can do better than what you're doing now. Right. And I had just gotten back from a conference where I had spent like a year, more than a year on a research project. I probably presented to 15 people in the room. They politely clapped at the end and I walked away thinking, no one is going to ever see this research. No one, this is not going to touch anyone's life whatsoever. And so those things coming together, it's like, I could actually write something that would actually make a difference in someone's life and someone would pay me for it. And that mm -hmm. was absolutely the light bulb moment. Right. That's awesome. Great. Well, take us through the timeline. What happened? Sure. Yeah. What so that was about seven years ago. And I started, um, creating, you know, grief support materials that the funeral home could then give to the families. Um, what I completely underestimated was that every profession in the world, including funeral service, has professional associations and connections. 
And as soon as one person starts doing something a little bit different, other folks start saying, well, can you do it for us? Um, I, I, being someone who lectured in front of college students for 14 years, I was pretty comfortable with public speaking and I can put together a PowerPoint. And, uh, and so I pretty quickly saw that um, providing presentations at professional conferences was a good way to get in front of folks and, and a way that I felt pretty comfortable with right away. And so, um, and then I just started listening. Uh, I went to some professional conferences. Um, I started um, seeking out those speaking gigs. Um, and then I listened to the funeral professionals and and the folks that I came across um, for some of their problems. And then I would craft my new presentations uh, based on what they said their problems were, if it was close <laughs> to my wheelhouse. But Shocking. It, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I make it sound like it was like a pretty easy process right now, but it has been a constant. I, I don't think I can overemphasize the, I, again, the reprogramming, which is the, you know, you know, I haven't written a peer reviewed paper on this. I'm not the national expert on X, Y, and Z. Right. Given the fact that there's no one else uh, doing this right now, um, the, it's time to step in, step into that space. A one one practical example, and I think one thing that really helped me um, is then partnering with a larger corporation. Uh, it happens to be a, a, a pre-need insurance company um, who wanted who saw a problem that I did, which is that um, for funeral professionals, there's a really high rate of burnout. Um, they have terrible. I mean, if you a lot of people don't think about it, but if you imagine it, a funeral professional needs to be on call basically 24/7, 365. If family has a loved one die. They, especially in hospice care, they would call the funeral home and they would want their loved one picked up within an hour or two and then then work starts. And so they are continually around people who are kind of going through one of the worst days of their life, especially in those unexpected sort of tragic losses. And then, but they also have to be small business owners. They also have to understand marketing. They have to understand the skill and science of their trade. Um, and it's just a really tough profession. So I got connected with this um, prenatal insurance company to create like a, a burnout prevention program. And it's the same thing. I am not a nationally known psychological expert on burnout, but I am bringing together the funeral profession and burnout. There was no one, you know, no one who seemed to know more than I did. So I, I just needed to educate myself and be responsible about what I was saying and those sorts of things we created you know, a program presentations and printed resources and things like that. And then, um, you know, a great happenstance of that was, of course, uh, putting my name uh, out into the field and presenting me as an expert on that specific topic. One that was very uh, and is, you know, it, it did come from absolutely a good place of wanting to um, help these professionals kind of deal with the stresses of that come with their profession. Mm. OK, there's so much to unpack in the last like few minutes. So let's let me. Uh, rewind a little bit. I want to. Sure. I, wanna, I know the listener is wondering a million things. So the first thing, that very very first sort of pamphlet rewrite. How did you price that? Did you just sort of say just throw a number out there? Did you do it hourly? Uh, because you know I didn't say it up top, but you know you're on my mailing list, which is how we connected, and you had had reached out to say that sort of things that you've learned on the mailing list you found invaluable. So I'd I'd like to start way back when the side hustle started. How did you price that very first thing? Um, early on, I basically saw that as an opportunity to, uh, well, and, and thankfully that funeral homeowner who's now a good friend of mine, 
uh, basically said, you write it, you're going to own it. Uh, I'm going to buy it from you. Oh. Uh, you know, if you can sell it to other folks, go for it. You know, I'd rather you not sell it to my competitor who's, you know, five blocks away, but, um, but <laughs> else in the country, you know, <laughs> you can go for it. And so I, I, I did, uh, um, I priced it based off of the, there were similar products in the field. And so, um, but I, I priced it, you know, similar to those sorts of things, but it's been a constant battle. Of, uh, th- that's another part of starting to jump around a little bit, but to, the, the academic side of things and kind of reprogramming as a professor, I got paid a steady paycheck, you know, whether they were, honestly, I taught classes with five students or with 60 students. Um, I would get paid the regular paycheck. And I didn't want, especially once I got tenure, I didn't have to care so much about how much value I was providing. Uh, I always wanted to provide good value to my college students, but it, it wasn't directly connected to my income. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to, I've had to learn to, uh, value my expertise and that honestly, that's been an ongoing challenge, uh, and part of the deprogramming. But, um, yeah. so I priced the, the, the booklets, uh, based on, um, yeah, the competitors and I've started at, at that point. Yeah. Okay. It's, there's actually, speaking of the academic thing, there's a great line in the original Ghostbusters movie where they all, this, the, the main characters get kicked out of the university and, and Dan Aykroyd says to Bill Murray, he goes, you don't understand. In the private sector, they expect results. <laughs> yes, yes. It is. It's 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 funny because it's true. <laughs> right. So, okay. So uh, just just my curiosity forces me to ask, like, so did you get these things printed up and everything? And you like went, it seems like there must have, must have, and there must have been a certain amount of investment there, or was it print on demand? Like, what were the mechanics? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, these are like twenty-eight page booklets, uh, so mm-hmm. so more than a you know a trifle brochure, but not certainly not a full length book. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I, I was uh, pushing it to. I, I created like eight different versions based on the, the specific loss that the person had experienced. But I was I was rushing to get to my first convention that was only like two hours away, so I wouldn't have to fly there, and you know I, I could go to the first national convention. And uh, I just had time to print out one. And so I printed enough to hand out samples. Uh, but after that- it, At home. Yeah, it has been a pretty much a, uh, a mostly print on demand, print maybe a thousand at a time to have around the house, but a, a fair number of my customers, I learned very quickly, I, I should design those so that they could be customized with the logo of the business that was sponsoring it because uh, they're seeing it as a marketing, uh, of course, in addition to support for the family. So right, uh, yeah. And they don't need one. They need a bunch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, and um, a medium sized funeral home, you know, might see 200 families in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a large funeral home might see 600, 1,000, 1,500. Okay. Uh, so they're, they're buying boxes of these. They're buying boxes. Yeah. Yep. All right. Great. Okay. Cool. Um, that's super helpful. Okay. So another thing you touched on uh, was the trade association thing. And I don't want that to get passed over. That is mm-hmm. a super important path for many people it can be a gigantic home run very quickly because as you pointed out um, the the word travels quick in Mm. those sorts of environments so can you tell us a little bit about the specifics of first of all what's the name of the trade association there's if there's if there's one main one or if there's multiple ones like what's the name of it how did you get introduced how did you get the gumption to suggest that you might want to do a presentation there what you know what kind of presentation was it how many people like paint the picture for the listener yeah of what it's like to how to get involved in a, 
uh, a trade association and the different opportunities that you that you were able to grab right out of the gate. Yeah, and uh, the the two main uh, associ national associations for funeral and cemeteries uh, are the National Funeral Directors Association and the uh, International Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association. Um, and so I started with the NFDA, that a, a significant, the majority of funeral homes in the United States belong to, and they have a national conference and then have state associations as well. Um, one thing that certainly helped was the academic background and, and the, the doctorate does help, I think, in getting those speaking gigs. Mm -hmm. um, I've, that was the one thing I felt pretty comfortable. It's like kind of writing a presentation proposal, making sure, uh, you know, again, matching up with a lot of things that you've said in various places, you know, uh, making it very clear that this is, is going to be an answer to one of their specific problems, bringing up that problem in the first two minutes making sure we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. What what really helped me as an outsider, uh, someone who had never worked in a funeral home, never done anything other than go to a few funerals, uh, for family members was, you know, learning the jargon, um, understanding the new trends within the field. You know, I'm, I'm constantly shocked that people will try to break into a new industry like that and won't read like the, the trade publications. Yeah, or, I was gonna ask like, so yeah. is, is that how you did it? You read the trade publications? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that and that and ju just talk to any funeral director who would want to talk and just do a lot of listening and asking a lot of questions, shadowing, all sorts of things like that. Mm -hmm. so give a presentation. I've seen other folks give a presentation on some of the same topics that I do. The huge difference is, is that I um, use funeral director language and examples in my presentations as opposed to the typical therapist examples. That's giant. It's giant. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, going... Yeah, it's like going to a conference and presenting in English to a crowd of Spanish speakers. It doesn't make sense. Yes, the so, and the adage of I, I won't listen to a word you say or it won't really sink in until I know you understand my world and you kind of care about where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be truer. Right. Totally. All right. So w did you get an introduction to someone at the NFDA or did you just cold cold submit like to a request for papers for the conference or did you get into the did you try and write? for the for the publication itself like what was the what was the exact if you can remember sure your exact path in like how did you crack through how hard was yeah it? that's a great question i um i lucked out the funeral home that i'm talking about happened to be known as one of the much top five percent most innovative funeral homes in the country hmm. and they had made a name for themselves their staff were active in national organizations and on committees and so even though by dumb luck, I happened to get connected to one of the organizations that could really connect me with that national organization. And that was a huge leg up. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just kind of there waiting for me. Otherwise, you, now, since then, I've I've worked to kind of create those relationships um, and build from that. And, and I've and I've certainly put in the work to do that. But there was a, a lot of luck at the beginning that I didn't have to kind of additionally seek out. Um, and so I had some trust. I think I delivered some really good presentations. They got good feedback on them. And then then it started to kind of build on its own. Cool. So uh, before we move on from that, for folks listening that want almost like a step-by-step -step anecdote or like more of a long-form story about how someone else did a similar thing, you can search the uh, podcast feed for the my interview with Paul Boag, who just did had just a masterful, less luck, <laughs> more, mm -hmm. more, um, more grunt work but and it's a bit of a long game but but it's a great episode if if 
if you're like, geez, I should probably do this. If you're thinking to yourself, I should probably look into trade associations for the ideal buyers that are on my list and you find one, but then it just, it's almost seems impenetrable. Like, how do I get in here? I don't even understand the lingo or any of that stuff. Like go find that interview with Paul Boeg. Uh, okay. So the next thing that you've mentioned a couple of times, many times already is the listening piece. So tell people what you mean, like, like uh, unpack that even more. It's like, let's say it's, let's say it's like, well, duh, you know, when I'm in a conversation, I'm listening, but maybe you're just really waiting for your chance to talk. So what do you mean when you say really listen? Um, when I, that first national convention, I didn't even have all those booklets created yet. I had one sample copy that I was handing out and I was standing at the booth and you got a booth. I had a booth. Yeah. But went ahead and invested in a booth. And so and I've got my, my wife and I are standing there. We have no idea what we're doing. All mm -hmm. that I'm handing these out and saying, I sell them for this price. Uh, and, uh, someone comes up to me and says, well, do you send these out to our families for us? And I say, no, you buy them in bulk. I'll put your logo on if you want. And then you can just hand them to your families. You know, me thinking that's cheap and effective. That's, that's the cheapest way to do it. You, you just hand them to your families. They're, they're going to be there. Right, right. But, but she said, and no. so <laughs> I didn't listen. And it took me five years later, I started, finally started a service where, um, I, okay, I'll send them out to you. That she wanted, she was telling me, Jason, I'll pay you more if you send these to my families. Right. And in your head, you're like, but that would be more expensive. Right. And so you, you just, you miss it, right? You miss yes. it because you're, it happens all the time. So, okay, but wait, we can't skip over the booth thing. That must've been five grand. Like how, how much yeah. was it? Do you remember? Thankfully it was probably, well, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at travel costs, hotel, booth, supply, yeah, you're pro probably three grand at the time for this particular convention. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was a substantial, and I was, at the time, I was probably making 50 as a college professor, you know, and so that's a substantial amount of my income. Do you uh, consider yourself like a risk-tolerant person? I um, I consider myself someone who researches something as much as possible, a, a, a fair bit, and I, and I feel like I'm making a reasonably, a risk-adjusted move, but definitely <laughs> um, someone who is willing to kind of put my foot out. It was, it was like, you know, this isn't, this isn't, I haven't quit my job yet. I have still okay. have a job to fall back on. And so I didn't see it as that big of it, that big of a risk. It wasn't okay. going to completely break us, but it was a, it was a chunk out of our budget. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Right. It, yeah. So, so, so you had a reasonable level. You had some safety net. You're like, this isn't yeah. going to break us. And you had some reasonable level of confidence that, it was the right thing to do. Maybe not pay off immediately, but it was the right thing to do. Right. And I didn't, you know, I didn't buy, like, I didn't pre-print 20,000 booklets um, or I didn't have a huge inventory that was, you know, waiting to be sold, had to be sold to pay the bill or anything like that. So mm -hmm. I felt like it, you know, it was mostly an investment of time and, a, and, a, and a, you know, a, a decent check, but not, not awful, not awful. So when you said you had one, do you mean you had one, a bunch of copies of one of the eight? Or you literally had one copy? Uh, no, no, I had I had uh, like 500 copies of the same booklet. Uh, okay. Like also, the, it was literally the loss of a husband. You know, so mm -hmm. this was the the booklet for someone who who's widowed, and mm -hmm. uh, I have like the loss of a parent or loss of a child. Those weren't quite ready yet. Um, but this um, convention, the national convention, coming to within two hours of me was a real rare event. So I didn't want to wait a year. Yeah. 
Um, and then I have to fly somewhere. And all of a sudden my, my expenses just went up like crazy just to get my yeah, That would have been five, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. I, I, I want, I want a really clear picture of this. Okay. So just, so forgive me for, for no, no, perhaps wallowing in the details, but these were, these were eight and a half by 11 printouts that you pr like you made a PDF and you printed them out at home on a laser printer. These were, um, I did go ahead and invest in a, a friend's wife was a graphic designer. So mm -hmm. these are five and a half by eight and a half kind of, you know, the page folded over. Got it. Good size for a booklet. Um, yeah. Like and, staple, saddle stitch staple, stapled. Staple stitch. Yeah. 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 Okay. And compared to what you're producing now, like how did they look? Were they, did they, were they like okay? Or did they look cheesy or did they look pretty good? I, um, I actually, I'm, I'm skipping over. I actually created a pet loss booklet and the first version was awful. And then I realized I do need to, the one, I'm usually kind of a shoestring budget, kind of do it myself if I can, but I realized that I needed the professional graphic designer. And so these, this version looked pretty good. Look, okay. I still sell them. They, I think they look excellent actually. Um, uh, but the first version that I had, I'd actually, I'd, I'd hired a recent graduate of our college who, um, you know, I thought might do a good job and I would give him some work, but, but pay him a reasonable amount, but not maybe the rate of necessarily a full-time designer hmm. because it was just kind of, I was willing to wait for a while and give him lots of feedback and it just didn't turn out. Okay. So you, you ponied up. Yeah. Um, okay. And then like, like if I looked at a picture of you and your wife sitting at the booth, what would I see? Was there like a drape behind you? Was it you and two folding chairs and like a folding table with nothing on it, except for these, <laughs> like, did you, you know, like how much, how much went into, it couldn't have been too much. If it was only three grand. So. Yeah. I do. Well, now that you mentioned, I did go ahead and get the booth backdrop because it, I'd, I'd look literally looked up pictures of this convention from previous years, you know, on social media and stuff like that. What do other people, I've never been there, but what do they have? Are there some videos? It looked like people. What did they wear? Yeah, yeah. Right. And it looked like the serious folks had, you know, a backdrop. And so I did go ahead and invest one of those booth backdrops. Um, mm -hmm. I came up with a a name for the company because I thought I thought I had to make it sound like I was bigger than just a one man shop. Um, did you I've have a website and stuff too? I I had a very basic kind of one pager website. Yeah. Great. Uh, this is so. I, I hate to drag you through it, but like, these are all questions that people are like, get overwhelmed with yeah. the idea of the expense, the the complexity, the, the moving parts, uh, you know, do I need this? Do I not need this? How, how big do I want to appear? How much do I want to put into this? And, you know, like, can I DIY it? Can, how much of a shoestring can I go on? And, you know, getting a booth, I, I've, done the booth thing with other people before not at never for myself but i've done it before and it's got some pros and cons mm -hmm. um, i mean it's a very quick way to get in front of your ideal buyer assuming you know who your ideal buyer is which you clearly did mm -hmm. it's a very quick way to write a check and boom there you are like you're there you're rubbing elbows you're listening to the lingo you're getting your finger on the pulse of concerns and trends and um, you're meeting people perhaps making connections so it's a, if you're pretty sure, like you were, if you're pretty sure that this is a, you know, a staged bet, not a safe bet, but like, no, you know, I've done some research and this feels like, this feels like it's probably a good idea. Uh, your wife was obviously bought in. She was there. So mm -hmm. uh, there, there was no, probably no big fight there. And it's like, all right, let's try this. And so, uh, I am curious, while you were there, do, did you meet people? No, let me back up. How many days was it? 
How many days did you have the booth? Uh, for, it's a four day conference. The expo part of it is three days. All right. So do you still, are you still in contact or still have clients from those three days? I have people that I met that are important connections and um, I have done business with. However, however, I, I can't believe I didn't remember this part of the story until you were talking just now. Um, I walked away from that first show with zero sales. Absolutely zero. How were you feeling about that? Uh, 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 just uh, the wind completely knocked out of me. <laughs> okay. Completely knocked out of me. Okay. When when did that feeling change? How long did it take for that feeling for it to be like, oh, I, I actually did plant some seeds that day, those days? Um, it was it was probably a uh, a week or two. I think it was a week or two. I, I felt like I, I think coming away from that, I think I realized or the, the story I was telling myself was I need to develop a stronger relationship with these folks um, before they're going to buy something from me. And the other thing I realized is um, the, the 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 classic I, I was selling vitamins instead of aspirin. Aspirin. Yep. Okay, yep. so did I steal that from you? I, I think I told the yeah. No, it, I think I stole that from someone who oh, okay. probably died in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's an old marketing thing. So, so okay. Did 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 you did you actively collect people? Did you have like a like a, a little candy bowl? It was like you know, drop your business card in here for a chance to win a free box of you know, or anything like that to collect contact information or a sign up sheet or anything. Nothing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you. So what my, happened my goal we, was to we, I was standing out in the in the hall, kind of on the edge, trying. My goal was to try to get like I had 500 sample copies of the booklets. I'm like, if they if they see this and they see how good it is, then they'll want to buy it. Was the thought at the time. Got it. You were actually selling them at the booth. No, no, I was handing out individual copies. Like okay. here's a sample copy of one. Look at the you know look at the quality and like this is modern grief information. What's wrong with everything else is that it's outdated, you know, and I don't know how they were going to know that other than me telling them, but um, I was trying to mind. That's the story. Got it. Perfect. Okay. And then you said maybe a week later, the, you didn't still feel like the wind was knocked out of you. Had you just gotten over it or was there, or was there something that made you feel like you were getting traction? Um, I'm trying to remember back to specifically to, I think um, in, around the same time, I'd started um, also right, creating uh, grief support materials for pet loss. And I start, I got a, a good-sized order there. And I remember that check coming in. I'm not sure how close it was to this convention, but a, a longtime customer who is still a cu customer decided to um, do that. And it was a, it was a, you know, you know, for me at the time, like a $900 check or a $1,200 check, even though maybe only half of that was profit. Right. Um, that that was that that would take me for a month. That would that would last a while. That was the, a game changer. You were like, oh, this is real. Yeah, this is. And you know, when you're, I, I was a very small college. You know, you know, pretty modest modest income considering I had spent nine years to get the credentials to be able to teach there, uh, and nine years of kind of lost income uh, yeah. potential. Um, and so that was, you know, that was sizable. That could really, that could be a big difference in our family's budget. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I mean, one of my younger sisters is a PhD and she just left like an Ivy league school. And it was just, it was exactly oh. what you said the whole time. It yeah. was like, it is a brutal environment emotionally. Oh. Um, so, okay. So how did the, that order, that 900 or $1,200 order for the uh, pet loss uh, booklet, 
How did they become aware of that? I um, got the, I searched online, found a directory of pet cremation businesses and sent samples to probably a 90 or a hundred of those businesses, snail mail. <laughs> and, um, and I just, you know, when I, when I kind of set the parameters for a project like that, I can dig in like a bulldog. Sure. Like this is the goal, hundred, hundred places. Okay. Now we do the envelopes. Now we write the letter, we sign the letter, drop it, you know, just oh, so old school. I love it. it out. Yeah. When this is what year is what year is this this is not this is like it was like seven years ago seven eight years ago so this is not like snail mail is well maybe not for this market i don't know but i mean you didn't email people be like hey here's a pdf like you were you were like oh i gotta were you i mean there was an internet there was a web to research at that time like a, oh yeah a pretty robust like were you getting business tips from some website or thought leader or book or something? Or were you reading books? I, um, I, I think it's all instinct. The, I think the mindset at the time is like, this is a, this is a good product, you know, in, in terms of the other kind of selling proposition is like, this is much better than a trifle brochure. Like if you're trying to provide comfort from a brochure, that's just, there's, you're so limited in the information, you know, how much of your caring can come across in a trifold. And so I think the mindset was always, if they get this in their hands, if they see, I was proud of the design. I haven't, uh, I've come up with new versions just this year that are shorter for, uh, for economic reasons, mm -hmm. but I still use the same design because I, I still get compliments on it. So I, I felt like this was a step up uh, if they mm -hmm. wanted to do that. Yeah, I mean, just the form factor of a trifold brochure, given the situation that they're going through, feels so weak. Yeah, it's it, like, it, kind of uh, like a like an oncologist, like here's your cancer diagnosis and here's your brochure, kind of a thing. It's just like <laughs> it's like it's way too heavy to yeah to trust to a brochure. Yeah, it feels like you almost want something a little bit that feels a little <laughs> more substantial. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, anyway, oh, it's brutal. Okay, so. Okay, so thank you for that. That's like super interesting because I, I know like when people are in the throes of these situations, like deciding whether or not should I email PDFs? To these, should I should I spam a bunch of people with PDFs in an email or should I actually, you know, set up the kitchen table with a whole bunch of, you know, fourth class mail or book mailers and, you know, I'm going to actually like stick stamps on these things and write down uh, it's it's a million decisions and it's a question of like uh, where where should I or could I or can I cut corners or should I go should I drive around and give them to the people by hand yeah, I mean you didn't do that um, so anyway I know that it's a it's it's a when you have this sort of side hustle thing going um, there's just a, a billion decisions there's so much uncertainty you don't know you know you don't want to spend too much on something that's not gonna work or too little and kind of cut yourself off at the legs so it's just super fascinating. I love stories like this. Okay, uh -huh. so what happened next? What happened after the, what happened after the uh, pet loss sale? Was uh, that gasoline on a fire? And you're like, all right, like how uh, long did it take from that point to you deciding to leave uh, academia? It was it was probably about three years. Um, I slowly started to get a few booklet orders, uh, and then of course this is you know they give them out to family, so these are you know in most cases it's recurring business, um, but certainly not enough to replace my income. Um, I got to the point where I was doing probably eight eight or ten uh, conventions a year where I was speaking, and I was getting paid a modest amount to do that. Basically, what I did was leverage speaking to. 
Um, you know, that would give me, they would pay for my travel to be there, pay me to speak. Sometimes I would get either a free or reduced booth space. And so I was making a little bit of money to spend time to go re- try to gain customers. And so it was never a situation where I was, other than the national convention, uh, the, the smaller shows, I was always able to at least come out a little bit ahead. And if I came up with a customer, then it was uh, my, given my services at the time, then that was going to be more like a, like selling a subscription. Like they're going to continue to buy booklets from me. So this is um, going to pay off over the long run. So uh, eight, eight conferences a year is quite a bit. Like what did the school think about that? Well, that's where that's where it started to get to a point where um, I, I kind of passed it off as like, well, I'm, I'm getting more familiar with the funeral industry. And so at a smaller school, I was able to make the argument um, that, you know, this is professionally related. I'm talking about grief, which is my area of research and, and how people can be helped more. Um, so the, the topic itself, of course, wasn't a sales presentation. I could say I'm providing this continuing education, but it was getting to the point where I, no one had said anything, but where I felt like I was not uh, living up to my end of the deal and asking for a fair amount of time off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, yeah. Professors are somewhat flexible, but but there are limits. To, to, there's also limits to what I was willing to do and still take a, take a paycheck from them. Exactly right, but, yeah. but you're tenured. You're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I really could have pushed it pretty hard if I if I had that mindset. I guess. Sure. Um, okay, great. So so let's fast forward to the point where so three years later, you're you're like, okay, I can. You, did, was it that you felt like you could replace your your professor income with the side hustle and make it your main hustle, or was it like because you you know you've been getting money from the side hustle, so maybe you're making like, were you making so much from the side hustle that you could kind of like come out ahead in a sense? I, I um, started talking with, again, lucked into this working with the same funeral home. And the owner said, you know, if, if you were ever going to um, leave the college, we would certainly hire you half time um, at, at about my halftime salary. And that turned out to be the kind of the opportunity, which was, at that moment, I probably was breaking even, but I thought if I had so much more time to devote to this and I could see some opportunities developing. And around that time was when I started working with this pre-need insurance company on this preventing burnout project. And so that was some, that was like, you know, uh, recurring annual income uh, that it was going to be about, I was going to, you asked earlier if I was risky, I wasn't because I was about ready, about, about the same, but knowing that I could possibly grow it. Yeah, the, the upside was way higher and yeah. the and the and the oh. floor was the same. Well, and this time, so you know, from you know, I, I loved my teaching experience. I love the institution that I worked for. It's a great place and provides great education. <laughs> Having said that, from 2008 to 2016, you know, for professors, the big pay bump is when you go from assistant to associate professor, and that's usually when you get tenure, and then from associate to full professor. You know, those when you get, those are when you get your bumps. Mm-hmm. I became tenured kind of a couple years after the recession and I got no bump because that's just where we were financially at that, at the institution. Mm. And so um, with that kind of like, you know, I've, I I treaded water in terms of my salary for probably six or seven years when I should have gotten my largest bump. And so that was kind of fizzling. And I'm like, I've got to, you know, we, my my wife was staying home with our, our children um, this, this is it, you know, this, this, so that certainly lit a fire that probably yeah. lit a fire three times. If I didn't have to have the income, 
to kind of, you know, move out of a starter house and a few things like that, that I might've given up if I didn't have that fire kind of going. Mm, yeah. Yes. My, my famous disgruntled, if you become disgruntled at your <laughs> day job yes. for some reason or dissatisfied is sometimes a nicer way to put it. So you're becoming dissatisfied with the deal and okay, great. So, yeah. so, and I would, oh, and I guess there was also like, I had already started to experience, like I would go to a convention and it's, Dr. Shorter, this, Dr. Shorter, that. And I, all of a sudden, I go from a small college where I'm at a faculty meeting of 70 PhDs in the room to a convention where there might be 250 people, and I'm the only PhD in the room. And, mm -hmm. and they were appreciative of my expertise. You know, again, as long as you're talking about their problems, you understand their problems, and you're helping them um, make make strides towards solving those problems. Yeah, you're helping them. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, I mean... They are they are so kind and gracious to me, but I was also providing them a very valuable service, and I was different. You know, was, I was, you know something even compared to most of the other speakers. Right. And so that was you know that's that feels good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honest. You know. You know. All of a sudden it's and and then you know these companies have budgets as opposed mm -hmm. to you know you know they'll take you out to a, a fantastic dinner as opposed to can we do a a mini, you know, we're going to do a potluck ret lunch retreat for the college kind of thing. It's like, it's just a different world, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so two, yeah. two things I want to call out. There's two things I want to call out there. One is the, uh, the inst virtually, I mean, oh, not instant, not overnight, but pretty close, the night and day relationship between the status that you were enjoying at, in yeah. one place versus the other. And, and, and it's like, it's kind of like you're the smartest kid in your high school and then you go to Harvard and it's like, okay, yeah. it's like the reverse, the reverse of that. Yeah. And, and that's real. So if, if uh, I can't help but mention the book Impro by Keith Johnstone, if, if dear listener, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, when I say status, you need to read that book. It will change the way you see every interpersonal human react, uh, relationship forever in a good way. Um, and the other thing is selling shoes to cobblers so so when you're in a room full of people who are or at least think whether they whether they are or not if they believe that they're as good or better at what you do than you are then you're never going to be treated like an expert you're never going it's going to be very hard mm -hmm. for you to deliver value to someone who thinks they know better than you what you do so one approach is to leave that group and go to a group of people who need this kind of expertise, but don't know how to do it. So for them, it's like magic. And in the software space, you know, probably the bulk of people listening are software people. If you're selling to like CTOs of a startup and you're, you're a React developer and the CTO of the startup was on like the core React team, it used to be at Facebook, they are not going to be impressed with your, your, your React jobs. But if you go to a place that needs a, you know, a brilliant real-time responsive web interface and you're in a room full of non-technical people, they're going to be blown away. I remember one time I went to a conference of, um, it was called, I don't know how to pronounce it. It was like Muretech, M-U-R-E-T-E-C, M-U-R-T-E-C. And, and it was like a, a conference of CIOs and similar from mostly like retail retail food chains like Panera and McDonald's and Taco Bell and stuff like that. I was the, it, you know, this is like, I don't know, 2012 or something. I was the only mobile, I was the only person in the whole conference that had any kind of expertise around mobile. And this was back before DoorDash and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. 
it's, it's amazing. So like if I would go to a, the difference between going to a conference of web developers who totally knew, you know, a lot of the stuff that I knew, you know, maybe they read my book or whatever, but they all knew it. It wasn't going to blow anyone away. You know, it's like this, it's kind of becoming old news at, at the time. And then you go, you put yourself in a new environment and all of a sudden they think you're an expert because you know so much more about it than them. And important point, you know how to present the information in a language that they will understand. They will understand that you understand them. And if you can make that, um, I don't know, what would you call that? You're more of an expert at this than me. Like, what would you call that? Like that connection or that sort of like you have empathy for them, but it's, it's some kind of trust building thing where you can describe their problems better than they can. And they're like, whoa, what does this person have to say? And all of a sudden you're Dr. Troy or this, Dr. Troy or that. Yeah. And they, you know, like all of us, they just, I think every field wants to be appreciated for like, we have unique struggles. There's something, there's something very challenging about being a funeral director that other people don't understand. And you could say the same for dentists and you could say the CPAs and yeah. And you just, and if you can, but if you can articulate it and say, okay, I really, uh, I often say, um, the best compliment I get after giving a presentation is someone forgets I'm a psychologist. They come up afterwards and ask me and they say, are you a licensed funeral director? <laughs> That's how I know, like I, I've, you know, I'm speaking the language. You've, you've crossed some Rubicon. You're, you're like, yeah. yeah, you're different. You're the, one of them. Yeah. And why would I, why would I now, now like, like you preach for a long time now, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if we can say cost doesn't matter at all, but it's certainly, you know, third, fourth, fifth on the list, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a, the relationship has started. Let's have a conversation about what you can do for me and, and like conversation and prices third, fourth, fifth. All right. This is amazing. So let's, let's jump forward in the timeline a little bit. Yeah. And, and what, what, what was on your mind when you sent me that email is maybe a week, a week or two ago. Well, for me, it was, um, as someone who, you know, I'm relatively new to the email list, but I've been following, you know, your podcasts and, and as well as, as the other one with Rochelle and, uh, um, what I have, one thing I've been struggling with or not uh, has been an ongoing battle that I'm, I'm starting to wrap my brain around is I exist kind of on two ends of, um, the spectrum in terms of I provide a productized service because now what my I sell booklets, but really I provide grief information through through um I, I do Facebook for funeral homes. Uh it is wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, what? Yeah. What do you mean you do Facebook for funeral homes? I well, I started off saying, well, I've got so much content. Uh I could I could write more booklets, but um I started doing uh some Facebook posts for the funeral home that I worked for part-time. And, um, you know, stuff that you see on Facebook, um, short, very quickly digestible sorts of things. Not oh, you're like a social media marketer for funeral homes? Yeah. Wild. I, like they, they just wanted, well, so most funeral homes, a lot of funeral homes will post their obituaries on their Facebook page. And oh. Facebook is not in, in, for most markets, but for the target market for funeral homes is perfect. You know, it's mm -hmm. people over 50. That's exactly who they yeah. tend to be talking with. Right. And so, um, you know, you talk about grandparents following their grandkids on Facebook or whoever's still around on Facebook. That's exactly the market funeral homes are going for. That's right. that years about pre-planning their funeral and things like that and, and looking at obituaries of other people in their town. And who mm -hmm. did they choose? You know, which funeral home did they choose to serve them? So um, I, I made the case like, well, we, we need to mix in some grief support, some inspiration, some things like this 
to kind of break right now your facebook page is a solid wall of obituary posts and so let's let's kind of infuse it with some other stuff. Let's let's go for a moment of connection between your funeral brand and the local community, and I'll create some content for that. And then again, you know, you know, businesses pay attention to other businesses, and so some of the you know funeral homes that are fifty miles, hundred miles, two hundred miles away started seeing what we we're doing, and they're like, so they would ask the owners who they know know personally from their associations. They call them up and say, "Who's doing your Facebook?" And it's like, "Well, Jason is." Well, could he help us out? You know, we're not your direct competitor. You know, we're not within right. 20, 30 minutes. So, um, yeah. and I originally had thought I would provide that content to somebody else and no one would kind of take me up on it. And so I just said, well, I just started investigating the tech that makes that really efficient. You know, where are some ways that I can make this very as, as simple as possible for me so I can stay a one man shop, yep. but provide a, a great value um, and, and scale this. And mm-hmm. so. So sorry, I got off track there. So I know that's yeah, no, that's great. I, that was the question. Yeah. Yeah. On that end, I provide the, you know, and it is, I make that, I'm not really a marketer. I have a, I have a canned product that you can take it or leave it at this price is, is what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the other end, trying to leverage my expertise, my degree, my knowledge and do, um, half day multi-day workshops as trainings for individual funeral homes that have yeah, that's, staff. You are doing that or are you thinking about that? Well, I, I've done some of that and that's the space I want to move into. Very much that authority figure. Um, but but then the you know the the pro, the service being I will come to your place of business. You don't have to take your staff of 12 and pay for them to travel to a, a convention and hotel space and being away from work. I'll come to you, do the workshop in-house, you'll get your, your state CEs or whatever it might be. And, um, you know, if you've got a really busy day, then a couple of people can go help families uh, and I'll come in and, and you can, you know, th- these are the higher end funeral homes that really distinguish themselves based on service and the training they give their staff and those sorts of things. So on that end, I'm very much trying to put myself out there as this is, you know, individually priced based on the value I provide right. versus the product si- product sized uh, social, the Facebook service. Right. Yeah. It's so just out of curiosity, like revenue wise, what does a decent sized funeral home do annually in terms of, in terms of revenue? Is this like, uh, a, uh, like how I'm curious how much buying power they have for outside. Sure. Like a good sized funeral home, you know, certainly did two or $3 million of business. Mm-hmm. Um, smaller one might be more in the 500, $800,000 range. The cost know? must be really high though. You it, got it's, staff, you got, yeah. You got, Physical location. Physical location. Probably got a couple, few cars. You've got all kinds of employees. Yeah. Yeah. And stressful. Like you said, so around the clock. Uh, All right. So when's your book coming out? (laughs) (laughs) You're you're so obviously poised to write a book. You've got all the, you've got all the, like if you were, if you were, are you working on a book? If you were going to work on a book, what would be the obvious subject? Uh, Actually, even before that how many how big is the market like how many how many funeral homes are in the nfda well uh there are i'm not exactly sure how many are in that association there's probably about uh 15 to 17,000 funeral businesses in the united states mm-hmm. um now some of those will have multiple rooftops and so there's more funeral homes than that okay. but i think we're i think there's about 15 17,000 businesses all right now, that would be a best-selling New York Times bestseller if you sold one to every one of those businesses. So, <laughs> you know, oh, if you, wow. yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. So, is that is that in your 
the future. So, when, so yeah, tell me more. When you say I, I write this book, like, like I thought, I thought about like someday I want to write a book or, or actually probably not a book, but provide a service for like, um, you know, PhDs who want to get out of academia. I thought about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and like, I've made all the mistakes and like, here's mindset sort of stuff. And here's like, you know, coaching on that sort of thing. But are you talking about the funeral space specifically? Totally. But I do, I'll, my gut instinct, my gut instinct is that there would be demand for that one too. But that's very heavily biased by my, you know, Oh, my sister's sister, experience, but yeah. I, I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's uncommon. No, and the the um, what was the term you kept using? Like deprogramming? Yeah, yeah, that's the title. <laughs> deprogramming from that's academia it. or something like that. That's a great oh, nice. title. That's a, that'd be very. You you'd be on the morning shows with that one. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a, not it's not that mass market, but um, but that that's an interesting one. But the the fact that you are you you've mentioned that you sort of enjoy this kind of high status Dr. Troyer thing in this environment. They see you as one of their own. They confuse you with one of their own. And you're you've been speaking. You connected with all these uh, different businesses. You are selling stuff. You've been selling mm-hmm. stuff. You know that it's delivering value. You're getting recurrent. You you mentioned that you're getting recurring purchases. So people are feeling the value. Like they they're like yes, this is worth it. Uh, you've already said that you that price is like the fifth thing down the list, you know, or whatever, because you differentiated yourself so much from the competition. So you really and just being tied into the association, you're really set up to you're set up to take that next step from expert to authority, where you become the I don't know what it what it is exactly. It's like the grief counselor for the, you know, the grief counselor guy for funeral home directors or something. It's like it's it's right there it's like a, a a clear maybe not next step like tomorrow but it would be it's a it's a clear addition to your sort of product ladder if you've got an idea you know if you're like oh if i look back and i think of my sort of content solar system or i think you know you're a good listener it's like what is the thing that all of these people wrestle with what is the thing they all wrestle with that's in your area of expertise you know, it's not going to be like their IT. <laughs> right. It's going right. to be something in your area of expertise where you have just years, years and years of street cred where you literally are the expert. I mean, it is possible that you are the expert for this audience. Maybe, maybe the best in the world, top 10, something like that, where the these academic people who know what you know and have maybe gotten more acclaim from their peers, but they don't know how to communicate the information in a way that makes a difference in someone's life other yeah. than their peers being jealous of them. So, you know, an example, Mike Michalowicz, we interviewed him on TBOA recently mm-hmm. and his book profit first is, is the primary colors of business finance. I mean, it is so basic, but that's exactly what that group needs. I'm one of them. I'm like, you know, I talked to a CPA about the book. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm familiar with it." But it's like, "Why would you do that? You could just use your you could just use your PNL." And I'm like, "I don't even know where to find my PNL." He's like, "What?" You know, it's like it's like there's a it's like it's one thing to have the expertise. It's one thing to know how to get uh, results. Might be the wrong word. It's one thing to know your stuff, but it's another thing to be able to transform somebody's life life with your expertise. You know, yeah, kind of reminded yeah. of the apocryphal Einstein quote, like, if you can't describe it simply, you don't understand it. Right. Right. Yeah. How can you make this super simple for them? And even, you know, the next step is I can just take this off your plate completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. that can't be underestimated. That can't be overstated. Um, right. So what's your what's your number. what's your just rough numbers, just order of magnitude? How many customers would you say you've served over the years? Like a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand? Well, I would say I often kind of use in my advertising that I work with. I have a relationship with one hundred and fifty to two hundred funeral homes. Um, and like my Facebook service is a hundred and just under one hundred and fifty, just by itself. Oh wow! And wow. then booklets, you know, folks who would order booklets or, um, yeah, I, I've got like relationships at different levels, and so that's a little bit tricky. But I, I'm comfortable saying I've got relationships with over two hundred funeral homes. Um, okay, which is something like one percent of the market. Yeah. Yeah. So something like a book could turn that into 10% of the market. Maybe the book is social media marketing for funeral directors. I, that's not what I was picturing, but right. I'm surprised to hear that, that there's that much demand for that service. So, uh, Oh yeah, there there's, yeah, there's multi, there's three or four, four or five, uh, just Facebook providers just for funeral service. Um, and I'm probably one of the smaller ones. Um, honestly. Mm. Wow. Um, I, in terms of that book idea, like my current plan is to have I've, what I've done over the years is created about six to eight kind of one hour presentations that I'm very comfortable giving at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but you've made me start, made me think about what would it like, are, are those six to eight chapters in a book? Um, Probably. Yeah, it with, could very well how, be. I think it's mostly under the umbrella of uh, kind of how do you take care of families and you know what is in my wheelhouse is how do you build relationships quickly like you would in a like in a first counseling situation you've got new people they're coming in with a problem and how do we build trust as fast as you can uh and and and, and demonstrate empathy so that translates to the funeral space um then also how do they take care of themselves this burnout prevention sort of thing um um so there's i've that's separate yeah that so yeah. and um, a little bit of marketing right there's there's you've got three or four, you, you listed like three or four, if you include the, you know, deprogramming academics, maybe five possible ideas. Uh, my, my experience has been both with myself and others that th this would be your first book, right? Not to push you too hard, but you haven't written a book book before, have you? I, I've written one book book on, on, on grief, kind of my academic book. Okay. So the, my experience with almost everybody when they're, when they're sort of, early in the game is they want to write the Bible of everything they know. Uh, and nobody wants to read everything you know about subject. They want to read what they need to know to make their life better. So, you know, just like you wouldn't make a, you wouldn't make one of these, one of these booklets that somebody's given to their family, you wouldn't make it 500 pages long. Right. Um, you know, like you, you, you want it to be like, well, I don't, we don't, I'm like, I'm like pushing, I feel like I'm pushing you into doing a book, but the, the general thing that I, at the point that I'm trying to make here is it doesn't need to be, you know, if you get a hundred, 120 pages of just one thing, like maybe it's just one of your talks, maybe one of your talk. I mean, an hour long podcast episodes, like 10,000 words. So, you know, if you have, uh, if you have 10, 20,000 words that you can put down on a hundred, 120 pages, that's going to get someone from where they are to where they want to be. You might have eight books in those eight talks. I don't know. Maybe it's one giant book, but I would, I would urge you to not automatically default to like, I'm going to write the be all end all of everything I've learned. And, and here no, I go. think that's a really good note because I, I definitely have that tendency of I'm going to, you know, I'm used to like, I have the information. I'm going to share it with you uh, and, and I'm going to share it all. 
um, so that's a really good note because I would have that tendency to try to pack it in, but I, but to provide examples, provide, you know, really, like you said before, how, you know, outline the problem and then tell me what to do. Yeah. And be really specific about it and some good examples and stuff like that would, would be enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely not, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm absolutely not advocating fluff. I just, I advocate lean. It's like, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like lean and mean what is the promise of this book or whatever? I, I I have the same approach in everything. It's like, who is it for? And what is your promise to them? If you give me your time and money, you will be glad because this promise will be kept. What's the promise? So, so in order, if you start off with like, okay, I'm going to, he convinced me, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start working on a book. Who is it for? Clearly it's for funeral directors. Uh, I, I would say definitely don't go after academics first, but the, the, mm-hmm. the deprogramming thing, go after funeral directors and say because you've got an existing business there you've got demonstrated success so that would be my first choice and it's like what is my promise with this particular thing which will take them at least six hours to read what is going to make them glad they did that and what is the smallest thing you can do to keep that promise and it's like that that would be my starting point because you sound like me you're prone to like kitchen sink it oh yeah (laughs) and oh yeah yeah, my first self-published book I did on a weekend because I was stalled on my epic opus. And that book still makes me thousands of dollars a month, that one that I did over a weekend, because it's short and sweet and effective. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. I, that's a that's that's gold. That's gold. Because I, I get in that mindset of, you know, I, I, okay, how long does the book have to be? And I start putting like assumptions on it. And it, it, you don't need to stop. Like, I need to stop thinking about that. I need to define a problem that they have told me is a problem. Yeah. What is my most popular? Um, well, like my most popular presentation right now is one I call um, families gone wild, diffusing conflict in the arrangement room. So the arrangement room is when the family comes together to plan the funeral and what funeral directors have increasing, what they kept on saying at conventions is you won't believe the family that came in last week and how much they almost came to a fist fight yeah. in the funeral home because they can't agree on stuff. Oh, Okay. I, you know, and that's my most popular presentation right now. Here, here are six things you can do that we take from counselors and family therapists who also are dealing with families in conflict yeah. to kind of keep things low, to keep them under control. I love it. Yeah. yeah. That specific. sounds like a, that sounds like a very, yeah, very specific, but, but it also feels like there's tons of nuance. You can probably go deep into a lot of things. You flesh it out, not fluffy, but include anecdotes to make it real mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to yeah. the reader. Yeah. Yeah, that that totally sounds like a that totally sounds like a promise. It totally sounds like someone would be on their way to a conference to the, one of these conferences and like see it in an airport bookstore and be like, oh, no brainer. I'm definitely getting this. Yeah, I, I definitely have this problem. This thing's making the promise, and you know, I'll read it and maybe I'll give it if if it keeps the promise. I'm gonna recommend it to other people and give it five stars, and you know. Yeah. yeah, and it and it's a and it's not at all a big leap to then say my my entire staff needs this training. Doctor Schroeder, come in and do a workshop. We need to exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then you get so and then you get an assistant to babysit your social media marketing automation, and you stop mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's gold. You start keynoting the NFDA instead of just having a. <laughs> <It'd> be nice. <laughs> right. It'd be nice. Yeah. Cool. This is amazing. This is what a great story. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a topic that make pe- makes people uncomfortable. Um, but 
it's it's one of the realest the realest thing out there so uh super happy to have folks like you fighting the fight translating the, the academic to the practical yeah and it's been uh it, it it's worked out well and i've learned so much and i'm having i'm having a lot of i mean you don't think of this term with the funeral industry but i'm having lots of fun i i love working with these people um they are the salt of the earth in terms of, you know, they are the people who are willing in a small town in South Dakota, stay living in that small town. They will go out at two in the morning on Christmas Eve Dude. and you know, visit their local loved one to, to, to take a decedent out and then, you know, care for them and, you know, and, and practice their craft and, and do what they do and be there with that family through those terrible days. And so, they are, um, you know, I, I really like, and I, and I know that's something I've taken from you. Um, you know, you've got to really enjoy the people you work with, uh, you know, and, and I do, um, but they've got, and they've got significant enough problems that I, I can help with. And it's been fun. It's been fun. Mm, that's amazing. And, and rewarding. I, maybe that's a better way. It's been, it's been rewarding, personally fulfilling to kind of see, yeah, these people say, um, as opposed to trying to convince a group of 20 year old college students to kind of wake up so that I can do a psych 101 lecture, <laughs> you know, funeral yeah. professionals who walk, you know, I, I, I was at a convention up in New York uh, two weeks ago and I, I filled the, you know, it was a smaller breakout session, but I filled the room at, uh, twice. And it's just like, this is something with that, with that same topic that I just yeah. mentioned. And uh, you know, that's really great. Like they're taking notes that like they want to learn this stuff because it's going to help them. And so that, that's yeah, on the front lines. I mean, this yeah. is going to be directly applicable immediately. Yeah. Yeah. That burnout one might be your next book though. That sounds like a very interesting, very interesting. But anyway, we, I know we got to wrap up. So, um, this has been great. Where can people go to find out more about what you're doing and maybe keep in touch with you or reach out if you're on LinkedIn or Twitter or anything like that, feel free to yeah. let them know. If they're curious about like the business side and just, you know, like how does this guy kind of, you know, uh, um, kind of, uh, share his products and services that's jasontroyer.com and of course that is geared towards funeral professionals so that's not for everyone but if someone's looking for an example of how this guy do it um if someone needs some some free uh support and so them or someone they know is going through a tough time with grief i do have a griefplan.com just just the the two words together griefplan.com um, has some free resources over there for folks who are struggling with grief Wow, that's amazing. This is all over the, the jasontroyer.com if folks want to reach out and have some questions for me. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Jason. Thanks for the opportunity, Jonathan. I really, really appreciate the chance to, to share my, my story. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. -L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.